Magna Carta Bill of Rights The Constitution, what's it worth? You know they're gonna grind us down Until it really hurts Is this a sovereign nation? Or just a police state? You better look out, people, before it gets too late. Yeah, you better, although it might be too late for some, including the guy who wrote or co-wrote and performed that song, Eric Clapton. Welcome to episode number 55 of Stand and Deliver, Citizens for Free Speech, our official podcast. Uh, I'm Bob France, National Communications Director and... I'm Patrick Wood, the founder and director of Citizens for Free Speech. We are glad that you are listening to our program today. And indeed, as Bob said, we have a, a just sort of a message, sort of a little follow-up on uh, Eric Clapton, the uh, very famous, well-known guitar player and singer. Um, yeah, he's back in the news again, Bob. We, we try to make this clear once in a while like i don't know every dozen or so episodes when we play our introductory song for this podcast air clapton's and van morrison's stand and deliver we try to tell you what it's about just in case you didn't know there's a reason why we do it he wrote that song a couple of years ago as an anti-lockdown song that's why they're talking about being a police state that's why you know the lyrics of this song uh talk about tyranny that's why it talks about uh uh whether or not we're a free people or not so this was a, a, a very important song that he wrote because he was expressing uh, his desire for freedom. Well, he was also expressing his desire to be able to make informed choices about what kinds of you know, health care or what kinds of mandates mm-hmm. that he and others are forced to follow. Mm-hmm. As everybody knows, Eric Clapton will go down in history as one of the greatest guitarists of all time in the history of music, of any yes. style of music, rock and roll, folk, it doesn't matter. He's that's that's literally who and what he is. Well, he took, like so many others, without being informed of the side effects, he took one of the mRNA vaccines when he was forced to do so. He took the one from AstraZeneca, which is no different than the ones from Moderna and from Pfizer. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are spike protein um, uh, uh, infused Mm -hmm. uh, uh, shots. I don't even like to call them vaccines, but he took these shots. And almost instantaneously, he wondered if he would ever be able to play the guitar again because mm-hmm. his he talked about his hands. Uh, let me read a quote here. Yeah. Shortly after the second shot, my injuries were further exacerbated. I was unable to move. My hands felt like they were on fire. I thought that my life was over. I wasn't sure if I could ever walk again and much less play, he talked about. Right. So, Pat, the reason we're bringing this up now is he's back in the news again. In a Substack article written by Dr. William Makis, um, he has talked, this doctor, and did an interview uh, with uh, Eric Clapton, and he uh, reports Eric Clapton is still suffering from the effects mm-hmm. of those shots that he was forced to take, saying, quote, I can't sleep because of the pain. The vaccine took my immune system and just shook it around. So what does this have yep. to do with free speech, Patrick, mm-hmm. for people who don't understand it? Mm-hmm. I mean, quite obviously, free speech, freedom means the mm-hmm. ability to give informed consent and choosing what kind of medications or what kind of preventative medications you might want to take rather than what we were forced to shut up and sit down and roll right. up our sleeves and take, you know, and take. 
Um, and that's why this song is so important to you and me and anybody yes. who pays attention to Citizens for Free yes. Speech. Because Eric Clapton wrote about his own personal firsthand experiences, right. which he is still suffering from. We, uh, we actually produced a brochure that was written by a friend of CFFS, uh, Dr. Russell Blaylock. Uh, on informed consent, we ask him, we say, well, we can't find a, an informed consent document anywhere. Dr. Blaylock, could you please write one for us? Now, he's a board-certified neurosurgeon. He's retired now, but the guy has a spectacular career behind him. And so he's been in, he's been in the, you know, the, the surgical theater virtually all of his career. And he did write an informed consent brochure for us. We were really big on this issue back then because the right to the right to hear what you need to hear is very important, and so uh, yeah, he, there's a copy of the brochure. You're kind of blacking out there, but that's I think you. Oops, you just disappeared, Bob. Well, that's okay. As long as you can, I want. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to figure out the best way for people to see that, the brochure. That's, there it because, is. Okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. Back here. Yeah. <clears> so we still have those brochures available, by the way, too. If you know anybody that needs one, you can get them from our store. Just go to uh, citizensforfreespeech.org and follow the link over to our store and you can you can pick up a packet of those brochures but we felt so strongly about this that we created this this uh, brochure and we distributed tens of thousands of them bob people were really anxious to get a hold of them that wanted them if eric clapton had it had one of these in the first place he likely never would have taken the shot he would have just said you can throw me in prison if you want in fact in britain it was much tougher than here to avoid the shot because there was all kinds of government programs that were forcing people into taking shots it was a lot like, uh, well, I say a lot like the, uh, the airline industry, or if you wanted to travel, you, you, you had to take a shot. Otherwise, you don't get on an airplane. So a lot of people, for instance, that work for a living and they fly around the country on an airplane, they said, man, if I don't take a shot, I'll never work again. And so they were kind of forced into taking it. But nevertheless, none of them received informed consent document to know that it could be life-threatening to them. And this, this has had such profound impact on, on Eric Clapton. Even to this day, he has to wear kind of uh, uh, insulated gloves to keep his fingers from getting touching anything hot or cold mm -hmm. because if he does it will he said it will set my my fingers on fire for the rest of the day um, and he's had to adjust his guitar playing he's still playing thankfully but he's had to adjust a lot of things he cannot play to 100 percent anymore he's somewhere probably down around 75 80 percent max um, but that's it that's that's what happens when things like free, uh, free speech are crushed, are you know, taken away, mm -hmm. you might not be able, be able to make the connection, but I can. He did not have informed consent, and it had a lasting impact on his life. That's the nature of free speech and in general. And neither he nor any of the rest of us were allowed to object. We weren't right. allowed to to stand up for ourselves, yes. to fight yes. for ourselves, and to make yes. our own decisions. And, uh, and, and that's what this is about. And by the way, you know, the lyrics right before... Um, the part of the song where we pick it up when we come onto the uh, onto our podcast here uh, are: Do you want to be a free man or do you want to be a slave? Mm -hmm. Do you want to wear these chains until you're lying in the grave? Those lyrics, written again, he was co-written by yes. Eric Clapton and Van yes. Morrison. Right. Um, that was just one of four songs that Van Morrison wrote about this and about mm -hmm. losing our liberty and our freedom right. to do and live our lives as we wish. Uh, the other one was called a lot more blatantly, no more lockdowns. Another one was mm -hmm. called born to be free. And the other one was called as I walked out mm -hmm. and he, and they wrote these and uh, performed these, mm -hmm. you know, at the height of the, the mandate uh, of, you know, of locking yes. people down, forcing these yes. needles, needles into their arms, forcing these useless diapers over their faces. And, uh, 
that's why it kind of became our thing. You know, we, yes. uh, we want to salute yeah. them, thank them for getting the message out in a way that will resonate with people through music because um, mm -hmm. that's still what we're fighting every day, even now. That's today. right. Yep, absolutely right. And Bob, I know we're of a slightly different generation. I lived through the protest song days of the 60s, the 70s, early 70s. And I asked the question a lot along the way. I say, where are the, where are the songsters? Where are the... Where are the artists, you know, that used to write like the Bob Dylans of the world, right? That used to write these great songs. <laughs> and uh, then up, up pops uh, Eric Clapton. I said, man, you know, made my day. Uh, they, the artists have returned. And there's been many more artists since then, by the way, that have written uh, very succinct protest songs about this whole thing. We need those artists. They're, they're part of the free speech spectrum. We need them. So th we're very thankful for Eric Clapton, in any case, for who he is, what he is, and what he's done for the sake of free speech. I think he's done a lot to advance the cause and uh, we can give him a tip of the hat for sure. Well, tip of the hat and also maybe everybody could join in with a little prayer uh, for him because his, yes. his physical yeah. condition is still not right. He has not been right since he took those right. uh, jabs. And like you said, it affects his guitar playing. It affects his fingers, his hands, yes. his feeling. And now yep. he even says he can't sleep because his system is all messed up from what happened to him. And yep. these, of course, were not listed on the uh, two, the only two side effects they told everybody, safety and effectiveness. That's it. No, no, nothing else. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody else listed anything else. And now people <laughs> like Eric are suffering and could use our yes. prayers. So, Patrick, one of the things that Eric Clapton and many, many other people uh, probably were doing at the time was listening to the news. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the media was very, very quick and eager and happy to report everything that the government and their partners in the mm -hmm. multi-billionaire big pharmaceutical industry wanted them to report about these things. And because of that, um, a whole lot of people are suffering right now. And well, here's a new story from the Associated Press reporting that in a new survey from Gallup and the Knight Foundation, people are starting to wake up a little bit. A striking, the way they reported in the AP, <laughs> number of people believe that the news misinforms people. The, the uh, survey goes beyond others that have shown a low level of trust in the media from the startling, startling point where many people believe there is an intent to deceive. According to the survey, asked whether they agreed with the statement that national news organizations do not intend to mislead, 50% said they disagreed. Only 25% agreed. So if we put that together, only 25% said we know they're not intentionally misleading us. 50% said they are. And so, I mean, similarly, 52% disagreed with the statement that disseminators of national news care about the best interests of their readers. 23% of the respondents said journalists were acting in the, public, in the public's best interest. Yeah. So I don't know about you, Patrick, but that tells me people are waking up a little bit. They're waking up to the fact that the media, the mainstream media, the large media, the, the, the legacy media is not necessarily informing them. They may be misinforming them intentionally because their partners and their agenda may be a little bit different than what's in the public's yes. best interest. That, that's right. That's right. As an issue of free speech, of course, we're getting one side of a story from the media, basically a very consistent story, by the way, that kind of follows a globalist narrative for the most part anymore. A lot of people are falling away from that. I, I'm not sure they know what to believe yet. You know, that they know really what's going on and can make sense of it, but they they certainly are realizing that the mainstream media is feeding them a line of bull. And propaganda can be uh, discovered outside of the context in which it's delivered. 
uh, we actually produced a brochure on propaganda too. It was a very popular one that we distributed again, tens of thousands of them around the country. Uh, but propaganda can be identified and uh, very, very pointedly just by looking at the nature of the communication. Uh, you don't have to know so much, uh, you know, background on what the article's talking about or whatever, but you can really spot propaganda just by the technique of writing and stuff. Media, mainstream media has absolutely nailed this as an art form. <laughs> they, they can produce propaganda now on demand, push a button and start the words start coming out of their mouth. A lot of people are just flat out, flat out fed up with propaganda. They see it as propaganda. They may don't, maybe don't understand it, but they're fed up with it. And they say, I, you know, I, I can't trust the news that I'm getting because it's biased. No, there you go. That's right. There, there's our propaganda brochure. And it's, uh, you know, yeah, again, it's on our store. Go to citizensforfreespeech.org, navigate over to the store. You can check that out. Get a packet of those and pass them around. Uh, people really appreciate those, by the way, if we found out. When you hand somebody a propaganda brochure, it's neutral enough to where, you know, you could just say to them, look, if here, you know, there's a lot of propaganda floating around. Everybody will say, oh, yeah, there sure is. It doesn't matter. You left, right, or in the middle. That's, everybody will agree with that. Say, so here's how you can recognize propaganda. And hand them, hand them our, our CFFS brochure on propaganda. They'll get it. They'll, they'll read that and say, oh, I see. Yeah, I, I can do that now. And we actually had a, a couple of ladies. I remember we got an email from them when we first release, released this. They created a, a sheet of paper and they wrote this, the headline of, the, of the, the, the facets of propaganda and put a little checkbox next to each one. And one lady in particular said, everything I read now, everything I read in, in media, I have, a, I have that sheet out and I check off the things that I see in the article. And she says, I can spot, she says, I've spotted more propaganda than one person should ever spot in their whole life. But uh, it works. It's, it's pretty um, staggering when you think about it, because what most people think about propaganda or when they think about it, they think about, for example, you know, German propaganda. They talk the Nazi propaganda, yeah. rather, is how they tried yeah. to convince Germans and others mm -hmm. uh, that the Holocaust that they were carrying out was in the best interest of everyone, uh, that, you know, they defamed the Jews, they insulted the Jews, and so on and so forth. Um, it's what the Soviet bloc nations did uh, during the Cold War, uh, talking about, you know, the evils of the West and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And we think about it in those terms from what we were taught in our, mm -hmm. in our history and social studies classes and so on and so forth. And people oftentimes think that it's, you know, a relic of those past mm -hmm. years, decades gone by. Mm -hmm. They don't think that today with all of the information, you know, we can, we can fact check anything. We have Google, yeah. right? <laughs> we can fact check anything. All we've got to do is go to the, go to the search engines yeah. and see what's real and what isn't. And the reality of it is that the search engines themselves are run by propaganda. They are mm -hmm. run by it. They are they are coded that way. Algorithms are written to to produce mm -hmm. certain information mm -hmm. and to quash other information, and it does. And it, it checks every one of those boxes, like you were saying that the lady was. Uh, it checks every one of those boxes so many times in some yeah. of these stories, and yeah. I would be more worried about it if the survey that I just read and told you about was in the other direction. If people really thought, no, the news is spot on. The news is, has mm -hmm. our best interest at heart. They're giving us the best information they possibly can, free of bias and so on and so forth. If that's what people thought, I would think we're in deep, deep trouble. But I'm yes. moderately 
mm-hmm. modestly encouraged by the fact that according to right. that survey by Gallup, people are starting to open their eyes and recognize yes. you can't believe what you read in the newspapers. You can't believe what you yeah. see on TV. You better yeah. start looking at things with the discerning eye. And that starts with knowing how to recognize propaganda mm-hmm. when you see it. That's exactly right. And and by the way, the, the, the daily uh, TV program that I'm doing on worldviewweekend.com uh, viewable by going slash live, and you can hear it live every day. At, I think it's three o'clock uh, mountain time. Um, the name of that report that I'm doing is called the quickening report. And the idea of the quickening report is that there are people that are just, they're, they're, they're coming out of the cloud for the first time. They're looking around and they're saying, I, I, yeah, I'm seeing a different reality here than, than what I've been hearing. And they're looking around wondering what's going on. And you can see the quickening taking place inside of them as their minds start to work, as they start to ask questions. Maybe they're kind of uncertain at first, but they get more and more interested in in really understanding what's going on. This is what's happening in America right now. I'm convinced of it. And you're absolutely right. It plays into what you just said. There are more and more people that are coming out. They're turning away from one thing, and now they're looking to another source to find out what's going on. And it's, uh, it's, it's very heartening in a way to me that, uh, that there may be several million people right now in America that are really out of that cloud and they're, they're, they're moving away from it at a rapid pace. Yep. Yep. Well, you're doing your part. That's huge. And that's very, very important. And, uh, uh, I hope people do watch the quick inning every time they get an opportunity to that's, that's a great point. Uh, Patrick, let's move on to another story yeah. now about misinformation and about disinformation that is intentional, not by the mainstream media now, but by the purveyors and the operators and moderators of social media, which quite simply has become in this digital age, it has probably superseded the mainstream legacy media as the primary source of news and information that people get, which is why this story is so important. We've been all, we've all been watching and we talked on our last episode of um, a stand and deliver. Uh, the hearings in the congressional committees now being run by Republicans, Jim Jordan in judiciary and uh, uh, James Comer in uh, uh, in uh, the oversight committee. And they're having Twitter executives, the former Twitter executives, the fired Twitter executives come to testify about why they did the things that they did. They have all of the receipts because of Elon Musk releasing the quote unquote Twitter files. And so they know everything that's going on and was going on, and now the question is, is how do they hold them accountable? Mm-hmm. Well, Naomi Wolf is a very interesting person because Naomi Wolf is a, a leftist. She is a, a, an avowed, devoted liberal. She is a left-of-center ideological um, uh, you know, author and, and, and pundit. And she is watching these Twitter executives and just getting livid. Um, she is somebody, despite her leftist ideology, mm-hmm. was very, very opposed to the stripping away of our constitutional rights by way of the things you and I were talking about mm-hmm. there at Clapton, from lockdowns to masks to shots. And so many of the doctors, mm-hmm. literal doctors, literal epidemiologists, mm-hmm. experts in infectious disease, were canceled by Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when they tried to give different perspectives on these things. And so were people who supported them like Naomi. And I want to read a quote here, and I'll get you to react to, mm-hmm. uh, Pat. Mm-hmm. Naomi Wolf writing, quote, it is, she's talking about the Twitter council, uh, Miss Vijaya Gaddy and uh, Eleanor Holmes, Norton, and some of the others who were there testifying. And she said, quote, 
It is so painful for me to see these faces. I have a very intimate relationship to these people. They tried to destroy me and did a fair job of it by some measures. These are the people, my people paradoxically, people are educated like me, people who share my political views until 2020. These are people who vacationed where I used to vacation, who hang with the people I know, who were the agents behind full-on <laughs> Stalinist-type persecution of innocent Americans, of me. These are the people who ruined my life or sought to do so and destroyed my career or sought to do so. These emotionally ugly, nasty, self-satisfied folks, so sure that they are right, so very, very wrong, are here at last, right here on C-SPAN, end quote. And she talked yeah. about how she got persecuted along with the doctors, the frontline doctors, Dr. Kaldorf, Dr. Mm -hmm. Bhattacharya, mm -hmm. Dr. Alexander, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Malone, and so many others who were attacked and, and, and had their rights to be not only to speak, but to be heard, mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. read by a willing public right. Right. by just that handful of ideological um, you know, tyrants, essentially, mm -hmm. who said, we are going to limit what these people can say and who yes. can read what they, read and hear, and hear what they have to say. Yes, and I'm, I'm just thinking of one. I've watched a little bit of C-SPAN myself to some of those hearings. Not very much. I, you know, can't, don't have the time. Oh, and so frankly, <laughs> frankly, it's boring. Yeah. But I watched one congresswoman interrogate one of these people, ex-people from Twitter. They're not there anymore, but that was involved in censorship and, and had their hand on the throttle that censored people. And she asked this woman, can you please ex uh, tell me what medical experience you have? And the, of course, the lady said, well, I don't have any medical experience. Did you go to school for any, any scientific medical? No, I didn't do that either. And then she asked the question, what gives you the right to censor legitimate board certified doctors and their opinions on medical issues? And she just was speechless. This is, this is the kind of thing that, that just blows Naomi Wolf's mind. Frankly, it blows my mind too. Mine too. But the reason Naomi is so sensitive to it is that she was one of those, oh, I say big wigs, and she's not quite like maybe the you know national superstar, but she was she's she's always been a very public person. She's always been out in the media one way or another. And she that that was her life. Like Eric Clapton plays guitar. That's what <laughs> She was chewed up and she was betrayed by the very people that she used to hang with. This is why she's so outraged. She said, how could you do this? It's like, we've known each other for years, if not decades. And you turned into a monster and you did all this stuff, including destroying me and trying to destroy my entire career. This is what really aggravates her. And she's right to be aggravated. I, you, anybody else would be if they were in the same boat. I'm just moderately aggravated because I wasn't in her position exactly. There were my friends in the first place. I got tagged by it. I was one of the first people to get shadow banned and then banned from these things ultimately. But, you know, it didn't really stick a knife in my heart. It, they stuck a knife in her heart. Yeah, because they used to think the same way. And she yes. was reasonable enough, even though she was, you know, again, politically, ideologically yes. aligned to say, whoa, 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 whoa. There are some yeah. things here that you just cannot justify. And that is forcing people to take these jabs. Right. Again, going back to our previous right. conversation yeah. about Eric Clapton without yeah. informed consent, forcing yes. people to give up their jobs if they don't, forcing people yes. to stay home, forcing businesses to close and all yes. the rest. Uh, mm -hmm. That was a bridge too far for her. And for them, that was only the beginning. 
talking yes. about the Twitter execs. Yeah. So the ones who, I mean, literally just said, we are kicking to the curb the idea that all yeah. voices should be heard, that all yeah. opinions, and especially those of experts in the field, should be considered. We are kicking yeah. all of that to the side because we are partnering gleefully with a federal government who is essentially yeah. deciding who can be heard yeah. and who cannot. Yes, um, and we, we can give a tip of the hat to uh, to Naomi Wolf, Dr. Naomi Wolf, I might add, not a medical doctor, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, she's been a fighter. She's been outspoken on free speech and for citizens for free speech, regardless of any, anything else she believes, she's got the free speech issue right. We commend her for that and give her a tip of the hat. Okay, Patrick, let's move on to our final story of this episode. And I'm going to let you kind of tell the story a little bit here. Um, I read the study. Uh, that Jonathan Turley comments on on his website, but you read the, the Turley article, so I want you to talk about it. But there's a, a new scientific study that's been done by Canadians and Americans combining uh, researchers from various universities that has come out with essentially the strongest condemnation yet of the idea of those mandatory masks helping to stop spread the spread of COVID-19. Uh, they basically said that they did they did studies, Patrick, with massive, massive, uh, l- large sample sizes. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people and tens of thousands of people wearing masks, not wearing masks in the same co- uh, conditions. We're talking about mm-hmm. randomized controlled studies. Yep. And now that the results are in, they are saying that these masks did little to no good mm-hmm. whatsoever in trying to stop prevent uh, stop and prevent the um, uh, the uh, uh, infection or the infection or the spread of mm-hmm. the infectious disease COVID-19 you can take it from there that's right yeah he's he says in this and, and by the way we have to give a, a tip of the hat to Jonathan Turley as well he's a constitutional attorney he's left a center uh, no no doubt but he has free speech issue right and he's absolutely outspoken on free speech he writes in this article my interest in the story as usual focuses on free speech and that was our interest in this story originally as well Um, He says numerous experts were suspended or banned for challenging these very claims and the media labeled any such critics as dangerous or fringe figures. Regardless of your ultimate conclusions on the efficacy of masks, there was clearly a scientific basis to challenge the mask policies. Yet many people were, were routinely censored on Twitter and other platforms for daring to challenge the official position on masks. And this is exactly what we were hopping up and down about two years ago as this whole thing was coming to fruit. Turley has absolutely nailed it again. All of these organizations that have that that brought this whole mask thing out said, oh, mask will complete it'll it'll protect you from getting the virus. Everybody needs to wear a mask. It never had anything to do with the science behind the mask. Every doctor that was trained, I know this from our, our friend Dr. Russell Blaylock, we talked about him earlier. I know from Dr. Blaylock. And he's a board-certified neurosurgeon, okay? He spent his life, his career, in the operating room, operating on people's brains. He did other things, too, but that's that, that was a big thing. You would think this guy knows something about medicine. He said every doctor is trained on the use of face masks. When anybody goes into surgery, doctors wear masks. Why do they wear masks, Dr. Blaylock? So that we don't drool, cough, or spit on the patient. Right. It has nothing to do with That's catching it. anything for the patient. It has is to protect the patient. They they're sitting there on the table. Their head is exposed. Their brains, you know, skull's been sawed off, or their heart's open, or whatever. Cavity in their chest is wide open, and they don't That's want to right. spit or drip. Wear, into it. Everybody yeah. wears a mask in a surgical room. Oh, doctor, do you wear a mask down the hallway? No. 
Do you wear a mask uh, out when you're in public? No, never. I wouldn't do that because it cuts off oxygen and it, you know, builds up CO2. And besides this dirty, nasty rag, and it's never, every doctor is trained on this. But when, when the word came down from CDC, face masks are in, all of a sudden, everybody went brain dead, except for a few doctors. There were a few doctors that sit out and say, hey, wait a minute. You guys, no, no, this is, this is not what we learned in medical school. This is not what we practice in hospitals. This is not the way people run their medical practices. What are you talking about? They were shut up. They were mercilessly just hung out to dry. Many people, many doctors lost their careers over this. That's they right. were fired from their medical practices, from the hospitals, whatever. They were denied access to hospital. To this day, I can remember the doctor that was, that was escorted out of the Loma Linda facility at University of California in Southern California. They went into this doctor. He's, he wasn't complying with the official narrative. Security went in, grabbed him by the arm in the middle. I think he was visiting a patient. They grabbed him by the arm. They escorted him out of the hospital, took away his key pass, you know, the card that they wear so they get in, and said, have a nice day. <laughs> this guy had been working there for years. He was a, he was a, a totally credible doctor, very well liked in the community. And they basically just threw him out and said, you know, hey, get out of here. You, we, you're not wanted anymore. This is what Turley is fighting against. And rightly so. Well, Every American should be fighting against this. This doesn't take this. Is, this supersedes Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, completely supersedes that. Every American should be concerned about this kind of censorship because it'd be just a matter of time before it's turned on you if we don't stop it now. Patrick, we're almost out of time here, but I want to take a moment to make you angrier. <laughs> because if you think that was bad then, what the CDC did, at least then they could say, look, we were going on what we thought would be best, that maybe these, um, these masks could stop some of the particles, you know, maybe not all of them, but if it's a, a little bit of an assistance, we figured we'd err on the side of caution. And, and maybe they could say that. But today, now that this study has been released, which is the latest, there have been several randomized controlled studies that show these masks yes. do not work. But this is the largest of its kind. And the CDC knows it. The CDC acknowledged it. One would think that they would say, okay, now we know. Instead, literally this week, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky, when advised of the results of this new study and asked to comment on it and whether or not they would withdraw their guidance of masking school children in particular, which, by the way, were already the least uh, in, you know, jeopardized mm -hmm. of all of the you know, different uh, demographics yes. of COVID-19. Would you change this now that you know masks don't work? She said, and I quote, our masking guidance doesn't really change with time. What, ch what it changes with is disease. So when there's a lot of disease in the community, we recommend that these communities, uh, we recommend those communities and those schools mask. When there's less disease in the community, we recommend that those masks can come off, end quote. So Pat, She's being told by science, this director of the mm -hmm. CDC, yep. that the masks don't stop the disease. Yes. But her answer is, as long as there is disease, we're still pushing the masks on these children. Yes. Now, somebody explained that to me because that, like I said, mm -hmm. I, I, I could almost, maybe if I force myself, <laughs> understand that they were using an abundance of caution. We don't know if it's going to help, but in case it does help, let's put them on. 
Now they know better, and for her to still say, hey, there's disease, and that's the only thing, the only thing that will change our guidance is if the yeah. disease goes away. As long as the disease is still there, we're going to tell people to put on something that we know by yeah. science does yeah. not help them. Yes. Well, we knew before that they were ignoring the real science anyway, because there were doctors talking about out about it back even back in 2020. But now this is really in your face, isn't it? I mean, now that all of the varnish has been taken off of this one now, the science is in front of them, a, a super large peer reviewed study, right. one of many. It's out there in the public now. Everybody agrees with it. It's all there. It's published in the major journals and stuff. And yet the people within the institutions that are trying to push this whole thing on us, they're ignoring the real science. They always did ignore it, but now it's obvious they're ignoring it right in your face. Couldn't get any worse. Quite literally well, this is a good reason to join Citizens for Free Speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Thank you, Patrick. I'm sorry. I was being silly there and making a pun because it is in your face and they're making sure they stay in the face, the masks, that is, of children. And it's <laughs> yes. not just about the it's not just about the free speech and censorship angle of that, which is important. But as you and I have discussed many, many times, and we've had doctors who are also contributing to brochures talking about yes. the actual damage yes. that it can do the uh, yes. in, a, in a variety of ways to be uh, masked up for an entire length mm -hmm. of a school day. So, uh, right. but at any rate, you're right, Patrick. That's the point here. Uh, we want you to join Citizens for Free Speech. Yes. Help us educate others on these issues in your local communities. Help us fight back against censorship. Help us fight back against those who would yeah. silence uh, view, views that do not necessarily go with an yeah. agenda, whether it be about your school board or your water board yeah. or anything yeah. else. By all means, join us because local activism is the only way we can fight back against this. That so, is right. And our national director of training says frequently, if you don't have a seat at the table in your local community, you are what's on the menu for dinner. Well you said. need to get with it. We have the tools to help you get with it. Come join us. It's a, it's a journey I wish none of us had to travel right now, quite honestly. But we are traveling because we must. We are Americans after all. We must do this because this is our country. It doesn't belong to somebody else. Our country It's our freedoms. It's our Constitution. It's our Bill of Rights, which contains, number one, the First Amendment, which is all about free speech, et cetera, other things. But we're out of time. We'll talk about it next time. But by all means, make sure you go to the website and join us, citizensforfreespeech.org. You can also see it, of course, in the uh, description paragraph of this podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of Stand and Deliver. I'm Bob France. And I'm Patrick Wood. We'll see you next time.